Welcome to the California Probation Connection. Today, our discussion delves into the intricate dynamics between incentives and sanctions within the world of probation. More specifically, how do we strike the right balance between the carrot and the stick? Join us for this thought-provoking conversation. afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. We have a real treat. This may be the first time on the podcast that I don't have to do anything and we get taken over. So <laughs> everybody should just be prepared. This may be the last time you hear my voice on this this part of the, the day because I have a feeling our two guests are going to talk my ear off. And I hope that that is the case. Um, I believe the title um, is Balance of Incentives and Sanctions today. But I have a feeling that, uh, you know, the conversation could take us in a lot of different directions. That's a pretty broad topic. And we have two guests with us who have a lot of experience on a lot of different things some of which are in probation. So we're very, uh, again, pleased to have you. And I want to first introduce uh, our guest today. And we have Chief Keene from San Mateo and Chief Richard from El Dorado County. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, good afternoon, Karen. Thank you. All right, now you've just told everyone that we are filming this in the afternoon. So Mm -hmm. that's that's always a mystery. You've already let one mystery out of the bag, so... Well, we'll do better. We're off to a great start. Okay, we'll do better. <laughs> All right. Well, let's well, let's get right into <clears throat> it. And it is true. It is about balance, which is, by the way, my favorite word, balance, mm-hmm. right? So I think we're going to see a lot of that through the conversation, I hope. Um, balance of incentives and sanctions. So I'd love to know, just without anything else, what does that mean to each of you when I ask about that? Um, John's motioning for me to to kick this off, so um, so I'll, I'll I'll take the reins and and uh, forty five minutes from now, John can chime in and uh, give you his definition. Excellent. Fair I'm going to sit over here in the corner and take yeah. a little nap. We'll get yeah. back. We'll, we'll get back. To you we'll get back. Well, we need you. Is <laughs> All right, right? Perfect. So um, I'm going to go back twenty five years. Oh no! Yeah, you see how this? Yeah, I see how you this knew this was coming. I did. <laughs> You know, our system has evolved dramatically in the last 25 years. And I use that 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 uh, period of time because that's my time in the system. And uh, and I can recall my first day as if it were yesterday, quite literally. And I remember uh, the types of training and the mentoring and the coaching that I got as to what the job was and and that it was the court ordered it and you enforce it. It was it was a real simple set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. It was there was a court order and your job was to enforce the court order. And, and typically uh, that meant that when people didn't follow the court order, that you engaged in a process of, of arrest, detention, release and go do it again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we have evolved dramatically from from that period of time. And, and fortunately so, because what I remember from those days were was that. There were a lot of people that I worked with that that revolving door um, was just the nature of their life. And you just knew the families. You knew you had the the grandchildren of the people that had Mm -hmm. come before them uh, in the system and the parents. You knew the parents. And sometimes you had the parents and the kids on the same caseloads. And and, and it was just – it was frustrating as, as a as a corrections officer because really the reason you got into the business in the first place was you wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. felt like there were so many people out there that weren't willing to accept your help. And then you began to evolve your understanding of how you weren't really helping them. 
you were uh, serving the community. You were serving the public safety element of the community. Right. But you weren't, weren't really helping the people that mm-hmm. were the clients on your caseload. And, uh, and within the first 10 years of the work that I was doing, uh, I came to realize and, and the industry came to realize and, um, and we all began to evolve toward this notion of um, it takes so much more. And the, the nature of incarceration might be impactful on you and me. The idea of going to jail to me is terrifying. Mm-hmm. The idea of going to jail to one of my clients was second nature. Mm-hmm. It was not something that was a diversion to them. It wasn't something that caused them to want to not engage in the behavior that was getting them to that point. Mm-hmm. And so we needed to find other ways. We needed to find reasons for them to not find themselves incarcerated. And right. so we really needed to take a look at like, who we were putting into custody and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and was there a reason for it? Mm-hmm. And what we, uh, one of the first things that I remember hearing when this, this evolution was occurring was, well, there are people that we need to be afraid of and there are people that we're just mad at. And we need to stop putting the people that were mad at into jail. Got and it. that was one of the ways it was first sort of um, uh, captured for me mm-hmm. where it sort of it made mm-hmm. sense, where I could really wrap my mind around, oh, yeah, you know, that that version of a client is the type of person that I'm putting in jail just because they broke the rule and I'm mad at them mm-hmm. versus that person's be- <laughs> engaging in behavior that is really a risk to another human being. Mm-hmm. And I really need to treat them in a different way uh, to get to get them to engage in behavior change differently than the person that I'm mad at. And I, and when I say mad, I mean, I'm representing sure. the public in that sense, right. not mm-hmm. as, as the, the, um, as the deputy. So that was the beginning of the change. Mm-hmm. And then we began to find ways, actual research backed principles that allowed us to find ways that were responses to behaviors that were more effective than putting people in jail. And that really was the big difference for us. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Of course, stuff that that I've heard. One thing that I want to underscore, though, um, and, and, you know, I'll have you jump in on this too, Chief Keene. I mean, you're not necessarily suggesting not enforcing the court orders, mm-hmm. not the incarceration piece as well, but that we were missing something. And that might be the, you know, uh, incentives piece. And yes. and so what is what does all of this mean to you or this uh, evolution that uh, that we're hearing about? Well, I think for me, and I really appreciate where Chief Richard started because it allows me to really kind of connect the dots after that because he brought up something I think is really significant in the conversation, which is the individuality of the people we're serving. We never considered that. We we had a handful of um, interventions that we used and we gave it to everybody. We didn't color what, we didn't care what your responsivity issues were. We didn't care who you were. You're going to get these three programs. And one of the things that the balance of incentives and sanctions allowed for us to do is to start to take a hard look, as Brian referenced, into individual people and what they needed to be successful. So didn't mean we were not going to enforce court orders, but at the same time, if we really are truly trying to slow down this kind of revolving door mentality, we knew we had to become more specialized and more targeted in the work. And so... The thing with incentives, what it does is it allows us to try to figure out what individually will motivate you to find an exit plan. Um, It's such an intrinsic 
business when it comes to why you choose to commit crime or why you choose to continue committing crime versus someone else. As you said, I'm scared. I'm never going to do that again. Whereas another person may say, eh, okay, I'll, I'll get in there and keep it going. It's nothing to really break that up for me. So the science is trying to figure out what works for that one person versus another. And so incentives allow us to connect more individualized treatment with the understanding that there still will be sanctions, there still will be responses that are necessary, but we recognize that I can't do the same for you that I did for another person. So I have to find a way to encourage you to do what's right, encourage you to do what's in your own personal best interest versus just doing what the system wants you to do. And, you know, it sounds to me like, and because I always have to kind of um, plain talk it a little bit because I'm not a practitioner, but it sounds like one size doesn't fit all. No. And it's carrot and stick, right? Absolutely. When you it think is. about it, it simply, is. And, and, right? And when you <clears throat> think about the difference between uh, incentives and sanctions, you're really looking at incentives as a prevention measure. Yes. Oh, talk to me more about okay. that. So what... What I didn't focus on 25 years ago was that I could have an impact on people's decision-making based on providing them an incentive to not engage in negative behavior. Mm-hmm. I could – it wasn't just waiting for the negative behavior and then reacting with a sanction attached to the negative behavior. But prior to that, I could front-load their thinking with an incentive-based be, uh, behavior modification tool by saying, you've done well. Mm-hmm. You think about you get you go back to your own childhood and you mm-hmm. think about what motivated you to keep going doing the hard thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So many so many kids could easily give up on the hard thing. So many of us can easily give up on the hard thing. You think about diet and <coughs> exercise. You think about right. I mean, it's easy to give up on the hard thing. Mm-hmm. But what's your incentive? And, and when you don't have an intrinsic motivation yes. to do the hard thing, sometimes you need an, an extrinsic motivation. And mm-hmm. and we could see that as a stick, as as mm-hmm. the sanction or as the threat of sanction. Mm-hmm. Right. But what we found is scientifically, it's actually more effective to encourage people to perform positively to take care of themselves, to take care of them, their family, because they know that there's a positive motive, there's a positive um, result on the back end of that. Mm-hmm. And if you can continue to demonstrate that to them, it's very helpful. One of the things that it's hard for our clients to see is beyond what's right in front of them. And so we have to be able to demonstrate to them repeatedly and in short bursts. And it doesn't have to be a huge incentive. It can be a small thing a fairly nominal uh, thing in value, but it's of high value to them because to them, it's maybe something they haven't gotten a lot of, which is positive reinforcement around their positive behavior. Even just something such as an authority figure might Mm -hmm. be a probation officer, might be a family friend. It might be a member of their immediate support system Mm -hmm. telling them, really proud of you. Like you you went to all of your treatment program this week. You haven't done that in the last three weeks. You did that this week. Mm -hmm. Great job. Right. That's huge. And to some people who have not received that type of incentive in the past, that's a big deal. And and so it's a prevention measure to the negative behavior potentially coming down the road or coming down the pike because that's part of their loop. That's mm-hmm. part of how they play their world is when something goes dif- it goes wrong or gets difficult, right. they engage in a negative behavior. But you can almost prevent that by giving them positive motivation. Mm-hmm. And you say they, but as you point out, it's really human nature. It's really sure. what we all respond to, Absolutely. right? You Absolutely. know, uh, anything hard in front of us, if there's this positive reinforcement, there's something to mm-hmm. work towards 
you know, it, it seems to elicit is what you're saying, a, a better response. Absolutely. And I think it's uh, it's very conducive to the new world in which we work in, even though incentives and the introduction to incentives have been around for a while. But it's I feel today more than ever, it actually fits better into the population that we serve. I think when you think about rehabilitation in itself, we find ourselves building more skill with the people who come through our door today than we ever did in the past. People in the past may have been more set up for a degree of success without sanctions, excuse me, without incentives in the past, but today that's not the case. People of all walks of life really need what Chief Rashard was mentioning, which is that that continuous support to say, you know what, you can do it, you've done well, um, keep that up, keep moving forward. And that's why we see this concept of incentivizing behavior permeate itself through all aspects of, you know, of engagement throughout society. So mm -hmm. I think it fits really well with what's needed in terms of the, the demographics of the population we serve today. So I'm, I'm curious in John's opinion of this. Um, one of the things that I think has influenced this, and, and let's keep in mind that the mass majority of our business is related to adult behavior modification, right. Right. Not, not juvenile. Um, but I think that the leading edge of this change in our culture professionally happened, happened in juvenile. Right, yes. right. And I believe that it informed a culture mm -hmm. around what will Me also too. work in the adult sphere. Absolutely. Would you, the, I would totally agree is with that. Your that. Experience? I, it is. Yeah. I think that ultimately a lot of what's really innovative in adult or what's working really well in adult has its origin in juvenile. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we've we've transitioned away from this kind of I would say more punitive model that seems to suggest that there's not an emotional attachment to the success of adults. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. There's this, there's this very emotional attachment to youth when they do well. Right. We feel a certain way when with the system or society fails youth. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're, we're willing to spend more energy, sometimes spend more funds, all of those things to support young people, because we believe that if we can help change the course, they're going to naturally transition into adulthood in a more positive way. But I think what we've discovered is that a lot of adults need that same level of support to be successful. And the more you can support them, and I think it is additionally is backed up by very interesting brain science now that sure. talks about the delay of mm -hmm. some of the frontal lobe reasoning and support, sometimes well beyond the age of 25, once you start factoring in things like drug use, stress, sure. trauma, sure. all these other things that sometimes push that that growth out into your 30s. There's an, there's an understanding today that, hey, it works for youth and it works for these folks too. And we're more personally vested in seeing adults do well now, I think. I think there was another element. And it's it's tangential <laughs> to this notion that juvenile justice led the the evolution mm -hmm. and adult followed up behind. Right. Adult also began to be funded mm -hmm. uh, right. so that we were sure. able to engage and invest in those right. sort of the, those sorts of uh, behavior yes. change uh, paradigms. But uh, I think that one of the things that helped us as as an industry was allowing ourselves to consider that culture change. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that I was taught early on was mm -hmm. that adults made these choices. Those choices led to their incarceration and their uh, their supervision. That's on them. 
Right. And everything right. they do from this point forward is on them. Mm-hmm. And so your job is to hold them accountable to that thing. Mm-hmm. And and fortunately, what we evolved into was, well, yes, it is an adult choice, but let's as John said, let's look at the brain science to start with and then let's consider all of the the developmental aspects that went into the point where they made that choice. Mm -hmm. And you're holding them to a standard that you would typically hold your own children to or hold your own family to or hold yourself to when they've had an entirely different experience. That's not to excuse the behavior in any way, shape, or form. Accountability Mm -hmm. is is a key factor in what we do. Public safety is paramount to what we do. But in in delivering public safety from a probation perspective, the way in which we do that is we prevent recidivism. Mm And the way that we prevent recidivism is we work with human beings and behavior change. And the way that we're successful in that is that we genuinely and authentically care about them Mm -hmm. to start with. Mm -hmm. And we don't make it their problem. We make it our problem. Mm -hmm. And we work with them as partners to help them solve that problem. So, um, you know, to do that, I'm just thinking, and you just talked about the evolution and what it was like when you first walked in the door, you know, um, you know, it seems like we are asking our probation officers to do a lot, to become invested, to, they'll have to be trained. I mean, there is a science, there's, um, and there's also probably a bit of an art to applying that science, right? So, um, so frankly, it sounds like the job is a lot harder than it was when you guys first got into the work. So just, <laughs> you know, no, to, just fair. to give a shout out to, to the folks who work for you now, but, Absolutely. you know, um, obviously you're making such a great case as to why it's to all of our benefits um, and public mm-hmm. safety, for, you know, first and foremost. But is, you know, how do you prepare the workforce for this balance of the sanction and incentives discussion? I think you prepare them by, first of all, being honest about who you are recruiting to come into the workforce. Mm -hmm. I think it starts at the recruitment level. And it starts also with an honest um, informing of them of what the job truly is. You know, our job is we don't have the benefit of a snazzy television show or folks you know, instinctively just knowing what we do. And so a lot of times individuals come into our space not truly knowing what they've signed up for, which in a lot of ways is really good because it gives us an opportunity to work oftentimes with a clean slate and form an opinion about what the work is and what it's not. Um, but we start first in who we recruit. We, we really work to recruit quality people who are truly in the people-helping business. And we are advocates for people. We look a little different in our advocacy, but we're advocates for people. And so when you start thinking about how do you build a probation officer in 2023 to be able to understand this balance that's necessary, it starts from the moment they walk through the door and the values that you have in your organization, the things that you say that you do, being consistent with what you say you do and how you do it. And then also, too, reinforcing that learning through really good quality training. So whether it's training that we do in the beginning of their career um, to kind of set the foundation work, to the training that happens ongoing, introducing very large uh, grand concepts sometimes for you to understand, Mm -hmm. like trauma-informed care, Mm -hmm. right? A person-centered approach or um, the utilization of incentives and the utilization of assessment-driven practices and things of that nature. It is a different world, definitely, than when we started Mm -hmm. in terms of what you have to be open to. But I think it allows for us to have probation staff very early on 
who understand the core function of what we do today versus maybe how it was in the past. And then your, your, um, your structure within the organization supports that by how we train, the things we invest in, the things that we demonstrate, that we value, and it becomes an ongoing cycle of reinforcement. Most of us are starting again because we're all hiring new people. And so mm-hmm. we're starting, you know, back in the one-on-one series again. You know, we've benefited for many years to be able to just build upon the seniority of our organizations. Mm-hmm. But today we're really starting from scratch, which is a little exciting, you know, to kind of go back to one-on-one again and build those things. But it allows us foundationally to bring in, I think, some really good quality staff and prepare them in a way in which we weren't prepared initially as probation officers. We evolved into it, but I envy probation staff who start today who have those um, that level of insight that's provided through training and support and organizational culture. Yeah. The tools. The, the tools, tools yes. they need. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, and John hit all the high points mm-hmm. that I would have hit on right. <clears throat> um, to answer your question. Um, I, I think that it's incredibly important to focus in on leadership as well. There's a, yes. there's a culture that you have to develop within mm-hmm. departments that says the same thing to our staff yes. that we expect them to say to their clients. And, and I don't mean that. Well, I do mean that literally, but I also mean it figuratively in that I want my, my staff to understand I care about you. And I don't just mean, I say, I care about you. I want you to hear that. I care about you. I mean that mm-hmm. I care about you. Mm-hmm. Like you matter to me as a person, each, each one of you, Whatever right. your circumstances that is making this part of your life more difficult or some other part of your life more difficult matters to me as your chief. And it matters to your manager and it matters to your supervisor and it matters to your coworkers that we all care about you, that you're part of this bigger thing. Right. You're not alone. You're not doing your case management alone. And you're not going to struggle because we're going to be there to support you. Right. And if you do find yourself in an area of struggle, you've got tons of resources to, to fall back on to help you get through that struggle. And if you don't set up that kind of culture, then how do you expect your staff to go out and provide that type of support to their clients? Because that's really what we're asking them mm-hmm. to do. So to mm-hmm. your point, the job is so much more difficult than it was for John and I when we right. first started. That's mm-hmm. the reality of it. We ask mm-hmm. a lot more of people these days right. because we're really asking them to be a whole multitude of disciplines, a whole multitude of professions. And I don't mean that in the sense that a lot of people say, well, you know, there's way too much asked of cops these days. Really, mm-hmm. cops need to be cops, and and then everybody else should go do the work. That that's not the way probation works. Probation right. is a multitude of hats as its profession. Like we are a synthetic entity. Uh, we handle social work. We handle education. We handle medicine. Uh, not literally, but we handle <laughs> medical matters. Right. We, we both physical and social. We handle substance use disorder issues. We handle all of these things that isn't just like we go in on a call for service and and we're with them for three hours and then we're done and we move Mm -hmm. on to the next call. We're with people for years, literally. And we're helping them go from point A to point B in their life where they can, where they can learn to navigate life successfully without us. And that's our goal. That's, that's our mission. Um, And, and we ask so much of our deputies in doing that, but in, in so doing, we need to be able to provide them the training and the colleagues right. and the tools mm-hmm. and all of the things that go along with that so they can be successful. Well, and let's let's talk about tools and things that are available in today's world that um, that can help an officer navigate, you know, the, the philosophical mm. kind of uh, trajectory that you just talked about. 
the um, the thing that strikes me is that we're seeing a lot of change, and the the political environment in which we live in, you know, our our clients live in, our, the officers that have to deal with them live in, we, we see this pendulum swing that we keep talking about mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, and we've talked a lot about the need to have incentives and maybe think about how to prevent crime a little bit differently than we mm-hmm. have normally uh, talked about it, because not enough has probably been said up until this point about Mm. it but again i want to underscore you're not necessarily we're talking about the balance of the sanction and and the incentives so have you found that some of the changes uh, around the political environment and those changes have been in different directions and different extremes over time make the job more difficult for your people to know how to best implement that balance I think absolutely um, would be the short answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in a real practical way, the, the way it gets in the way and the way it hinders implementation is that it's difficult, in my opinion, as a probation officer now to understand what the priority is. Because you keep hearing in so many different environments that, you know, what what matters is these kind of politically driven motivations versus the people. Mm -hmm. And you had referenced earlier this idea of the carrot and the stick and how it kind of works collaboratively together. So for example, that becomes this question mark of if we take away all of the kind of structure around treatment, for example, that that encourages people to go to treatment through this system approach, because that's really what probation is, where this Mm -hmm. system approach to connect you to treatment. But if let's say from a legal perspective or a legislative perspective, that gets undercut, people won't naturally gravitate into that space. And so as a probation officer, you're trying to figure out, well, without this ability to motivate a person, to encourage a person to get into the treatment that's necessary, because it won't happen by itself. There are some folks that will naturally, and I think that's the part of the incentive in getting to know people is so powerful some people will not make it into treatment otherwise. They won't. Right. And so Or you have to assume they would have anyways, right? Have it anyway. would have been in their best interest. Well, you right? know what? You can do more than assume. The science shows that to be true. Mm-hmm. Because we know there's a percentage of people who come into our environments that with no interventions at all, they're going to be okay. Right. It's a significant number right. of the people that we work with. And we do a great job, I believe, of setting those people aside from the people that we should be focused on. Mm-hmm. But back to your point, though, when you undercut that by, you know, questionable decision making around kind of legal and legislative spaces, you do not support things that we know that works. It may not necessarily match a personal view of the system, but we know for a fact in what it takes to get people there, it works. So as a probation officer, I'm kind of left to wonder, okay, well, what truly is the priority here? Because I know that maybe what this new law asks me to do actually disincentivizes a person from choosing treatment. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. now a path has been created for me to completely sidestep this area of the system. Right. And so I'm not quite, I wouldn't be sure if I was a probation officer with a caseload trying to manage that. Because I know what this person needs, but I don't have the legal support. I don't have the philosophical support mm-hmm. to you know, to encourage 
through the system to get a person to go to that space. So I think it becomes very, um, very confusing. Well, I, you know, we talked about it. This is what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you need to have both. You need to have a balance. Mm -hmm. And if our laws or politics, especially these days, seem to be set at the extremes, right? Yes. Um, you know, it, it may make it harder sometimes to navigate that balance, you know, find mm -hmm. that that appropriate uh, mix of all of that. So. And as you often talk about, it's it's both extremes. Oh, absolutely. It really right? is. It's the absence of balance from both parts. So you we know that just very heavy handed, punitive based. Um, incentives don't work, but also things that pretty much remove the bumpers that actually encourage um, the thought pattern. Because that's the interesting thing about the, the science of change. Sometimes it's just the thought that I could change because I'm being asked to by a person like a probation officer is enough to set the spark that eventually will, you know, develop into that person entering into that process. But the stages of change oftentimes means that it's going to be several cycles through before a person actually reaches a point where they're necessarily able to do that. But if the system kind of cuts me out of that, you know, that circular process, you don't make it better for the person who needs the help. So John referenced mm -hmm. something just now, stage of change. Mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the science that we work with. Right. And I think a lot of people don't recognize, like, we get really nuanced in the science. <laughs> yes, we do. Right, yeah. <laughs> to what we do. I mean – from from evaluating risk levels, and for risk, I mean risk of recidivism, um, to evaluating stage of change for a client, like where they are at in the change process and how if you are at one stage of change, which is, say, pre-contemplative, where mm -hmm. you don't know that you can change. Mm -hmm. You don't know that you want to change. You don't know that you need to change necessarily. Mm -hmm. if, if you found yourself in that mindset relative to diet, like, I'm fine. I don't need to lose weight. I don't need to get stronger. I don't need to improve my heart health. I'm fine. What's going to encourage you to get on the treadmill or stop eating the whatever is, you know, right. clogging your arteries? Or if you don't believe that, then mm. there's no incentive for you to change. Sometimes the system has provided that incentive because there was a negative consequence attached to it. And policy-wise, we have removed some of that negative consequence. Right. Exactly. We've reduced probation terms. We have we have changed some of the consequences for some of the things that you are arrested for or charged with or convicted of and taken away some of those negative consequences. I'm not saying that they were necessary for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm saying they're necessary, as John said, for a, a percentage for of percentage. our population. Yes. And what's unfortunate is without those extrinsic motivations, those those incentives for people, those negative incentives for people – there's a there's a certain percentage of our population that we have lost, and yes. it, and it's to me it's sad right. because there were people. Let's say for example, um, our addicted offender caseloads mm -hmm. that we saw so much success with over the last two decades, where we had people that had been caught up in addiction for decades, gone to prison multiple times right. for sales and and trafficking and and uh, and production of of dangerous drugs. That the incentive for them to to Avoid prison by engaging in a program that was designed around people that were really deeply entrenched into mm -hmm. addiction. Mm -hmm. Some of those incentives have been removed and we're losing some of those people to further addiction, to overdose deaths, to a street life, to prison. And it's sad. It, it breaks my heart a little bit to see that yeah. happen because mm -hmm. some of my greatest successes as a practitioner 
have have been with people that were decades Absolutely. into their addiction. And we've watched them, helped them navigate their way out of sure. that addiction yes. and find health again. They found health and they found their family again and they reengaged in their community mm-hmm. and they found employment and housing and they were so proud of themselves and nothing made me more um, satisfied as a practitioner mm-hmm. than to see that success. Mm-hmm. And and, it, and of course, we still see it all around us, but there's a percentage of folks that we're now losing that, that we could have otherwise helped. Yes. Right. We're kind of narrowing... Um, the tools and the options available to yes, use sure. some of that individualized training yep. and and things that you're talking about, and it's and you know it's it may not be as humane as as some people kind of are, are setting out to to mm-hmm. make these changes in order to to try to to try to get to that. Um, well, it, super it, interesting. It doesn't speak to it. These changes don't speak to the imperfect nature of working with human beings. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Because if everyone could just do it without the system, we wouldn't have the concerns we have. We, we intersect and we connect in these spaces because people need the support and they need the idea that there are folks that are, their number one job is to try to find ways to help them. Like that's their mission. And that's our mission. Our mission is to help people. So when you kind of minimize or take away from our ability to do that, you're ultimately hurting the populations that you say you care the most about. Right. Yeah. And what's unfortunate is I think, you know, just behind just about every piece of legislation, behind just about every policy and practice that's within our agencies and outside of our agencies, you can usually identify a set of circumstances or or a specific case or or something that led Mm -hmm. to the development or the evolution of that, that mm-hmm. practice or that policy. Um, we joke about it internally in, in departments where you'll have these policies that you'll look at, you know, with fresh eyes, you'll say, where did that policy come from? And they'll say, oh, well, that was because there was this one, one case, case you yeah. know, 10 years ago that, well, it's the same thing relative to our overall system. Right. The idea of, of reducing five-year probation terms to two years that is to me that's a blunt object mm-hmm. uh it's a blunt response to a, a problem that was in our system which was right. there were courts <clears throat> and there were um there were practitioners that didn't look at reducing the length of terms for probation for people that were being successful yes mm-hmm. right? right and so there was a reason to reduce terms for sure. that type of case yes. but there are so many for every one of those cases there are probably a multitude of cases where we need additional time to help people get out of the hole that they've dug for themselves over the last 25 years. We want to help them. We're desperate to help them, but we're coming up against a stopwatch that says you need to do this now. Mm -hmm. You need to get it done within the next 18 months because they sat in jail for six months on probation, and now you have 18 months to figure out a solution for them, and they're not ready to change within 18 months. And Mm -hmm. that also breaks our hearts when those circumstances play out. That that makes again a lot of sense. I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir for sure on on all of that. And so, just to kind of really distill it in a very, you know, probably unfair question, uh, but can you perform the mission of probation as you guys have just described with only either sanctions or incentives? No, no. We know we no. know today we can't. Absolutely, we thought not. we could in the past right. because we yeah. did it not a necessity. Before six, seven, eight, and adult funding, that was our life, mm-hmm. right? You may have found a few people who have occasionally can be creative, 
and do some unique things on a one-to-one -one mm -hmm. basis yeah. with their clients, but you really could not manifest that. And so, you know, to, to a point where you can have more global success, which is the reason why we didn't see it. Um, but today there's no way to have one without the other. And so you have to find a continued way to find unique and different uh, ways to motivate people through incentives that are culturally responsive now, because mm -hmm. that's something we didn't necessarily, it's a further evolution of this idea of what are your particular, you know, values or characteristics uh, that really require consideration. And so I'm super encouraged to see incentives morph into these really, I think, complex and beautifully targeted ways to approach different populations. Um, remember, it used to be only be gift cards. Right. And now it's yeah. turned into, you know, um, whether it's a, a particular support of a program that a young person is entering into or purchasing equipment they need to do well um, at their first day of work or something like that, or uh, connecting with something that they truly love like engagement with animals or a variety of things that I see my peers across the state just do incredibly unique and inspiring things. So they're all incentives to incentivize people doing well. So going back now is, is not an option. So we have to find ways to continue to evolve in that space. And it sounds like we have had a system where we tried to do our mission with just the sanctions. That's yes, kind of sure. where you spoke of yes. at the beginning of yeah. the of the podcast today. Um, and it, so I guess the real question is, can we complete the probation mission if we only have incentives, if we mm. went to the other side of the, of the uh, you know, swung the pendulum to the other mm -hmm. side of the extreme? And to, to build off of what you were just talking about, Chief Richard, about, you know, well, you have well-intentioned laws that actually try to to cut off some of the the sanctions piece. Sure. And that may be causing unintentional harm in it delivery. Does. It, uh, it does. Yeah, yeah so for some. I'd say definitely a leading question, but mm -hmm. can we really do the mission if we if if the pendulum politically swings all the way to the other side? So take it mm -hmm. to the extreme. There is no accountability. There's no potential right. sanction. And you still have people that have been suffering through addiction right. for decades in some cases. Let's even take somebody that's been, in, you know, mired in their addiction for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's so difficult for them to see mm -hmm. that there is hope, that there is the potential of their success because that's the nature of addiction. Mm -hmm. You, you typically can't see right, it. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and when you're in the middle of that hole, you, you can't see up above the edge of the hole that there's mm -hmm. a whole other world out there waiting for you. You just have to stop digging. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so what the system is designed to do is to provide that support up out of the hole so that you can see that there's hope. Mm -hmm. We help give people hope. And that's the, that there's, there's a whole new science around hope that's developing, which right. I love. I absolutely mm -hmm. love the mm -hmm. notion uh, when I started being exposed to it just a couple of years ago mm -hmm. of people talking about a hope scale or, or the, the idea that you can measure hope within people and you mm -hmm. can build hope within people mm -hmm. and that there are methods of being able to do that. And that's really what we've been doing for quite some time is trying sure. to show people hope. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that if you don't have in some instances, the ability to sanction. And I don't mean incarcerate. I mean the ability to react negatively 
to people behaving negatively that's harming themselves, harming their family and harming mm. the community. If you don't have that ability, and I don't mean that threat, but actually able to engage with them in a way that holds them accountable for their behavior that shows them, look, sometimes negative behavior has negative consequences. And it could be you're going to have to come to program more frequently. Like right. we, we have you coming right. to program twice a week right now. Mm-hmm. I need you to come to program three times a week because I need to structure your time more. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that you're engaged in a positive behavior. Pro-social. Pro-socially with people that are there that show that they've got your right. best interests at heart because you need to be reminded of that more frequently. Now, mm-hmm. some people refer to that as a sanction. And it is technically, but the reality is it's actually built around your rehabilitation. And that's Mm -hmm. what we look at sanctions as now is more toward, well, does the sanction further rehabilitation or does it, um, does it impede rehabilitation? And if it in any way impedes rehabilitation, and I include incarceration of that, if you think as a deputy probation officer that incarcerating this person in balance is going to harm their progress Mm -hmm. more so than improve it, then you need to have a conversation with somebody else about is it the right time to make an arrest in this situation? Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're training our deputies to do. And and one of the tools, you mentioned tools, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go mm-hmm. back to a, a structured tool that I would say most, if not all, agencies in California use. We have a sanctions, we have a, res, we call it a response, response matrix, yeah. right? Response grid, response matrix. And on one axis, it's risk. And on the other axis, it's behavior. And so if you're a, a low risk respond if you're a low risk respondent or a low risk participant mm-hmm. and you engage in the behavior in this column, mm-hmm. then the box that is in that relates to you has maybe two or three options attached mm-hmm. to it. Now, if you're a high risk person in that same category, that same column, mm-hmm. the response will be entirely different because Sure. Your behavior might be a higher risk for your recidivism than if you are a low risk person and so we'll respond in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because we program that with our deputies, we train them to those standards and we ask them to engage with the matrix um, as it's as a guide, as a guide to right? their behavior. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you're going to step outside of that, you need to have a conversation with somebody, probably your supervisor, about mm-hmm. why you want to step outside of that and maybe react uh, with a lower sanction than you, than the matrix might prescribe mm-hmm. or a higher sanction than mm-hmm. the matrix might prescribe because there's a nuance to every circumstance. Right. And that's mm-hmm. where John mentioned it earlier. Um, we used to act as a blunt instrument. It was, we had three programs to send you to. Right. We Off drug test. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. Yes. We drug tested you regularly. Mm-hmm. And if you failed any of those things, we had a pretty singular response, which was either finger wagging or an arrest. Mm-hmm. Well, now we have a whole litany of responses available to people that are, you know, I anywhere from I'm going to remove things that have been provided to you as as um, uh, incentives, mm-hmm. or I'm going to have to actually issue some level of sanction, which might be the number of times you have to come see me, mm-hmm. um, or might be the uh, the number of drug tests that you're participating in because it was a drug related offense. Right. It was something that showed that you're slipping in your mindset around drug abuse, mm-hmm. and we want to help create a better mindset. And before so they're all related before yes. it's too late. Exactly, you wind up because at your, some point you might have to use an incarceration absolutely. type. Exactly. 
or another to. agency will. Well, we're right. not the only agency out there right. managing mm-hmm. behavior. There, right. you know, law enforcement agencies throughout right. all of our jurisdictions manage behavior. And if they find you in a negative circumstance engaging in negative behavior, they're not so nuanced. Well, mm-hmm. and nor, I mean, that is their job. That's I mean, their that's, job. that's, that's exactly. the, that is, they're fulfilling that mission. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that spills into having a negative societal impact. Exactly. And so yes. we're trying to avoid it getting to that stage. Um, and, and so I, I think again those nuances as you say it doesn't seem like they can easily be fit into one prescribed set of laws and everything no. will be okay you no. have to be sure that how you're implementing those has enough of a wide berth to maintain a balance yes. a healthy balance i mean isn't that what everybody Absolutely. is is Absolutely. looking you know to try um to try to have and it's and it strikes me as as interesting um over the past couple of decades where we've really had to have this conversation about why incentives are important what i feel like we're having to have a conversation around is why incentives are important but you, without necessarily the total removal of sanctions. It's a right. little bit mm-hmm. of a different conversation. And now that's on the political spectrum. Right. I think, yes. you know, as you're training folks and bringing people in, you really want them to understand, I'm sure, you know, that that nuance, that balance. But, you know, uh, trying to make sure we're, we're talking about both sides of it is um, – is really important, I think, in this context because so many people don't really understand what you all do. Well, and we mm-hmm. we do a lot of that communication with our staff. Mm-hmm. So yes. you know, I, one of the things that I tell my staff is we're we're a little bit schizophrenic within probation mm-hmm. in that <laughs> we're a law enforcement a- agency that is human service centered, mm-hmm. and and we really <laughs> focus in on making sure that they are the most advanced well-trained law enforcement officers on the street to do the job that they do in a safe way Mm -hmm. and protect the community as well as protect their clients and protect themselves and their partners. But simultaneously, I need you to be the most compassionate, humane, self-aware individual in the mix of what's taking place out there in the community. I need you to be both things simultaneously. And that's the schizophrenia of our work because in, if you're a frontline law enforcement officer, your job is a little bit more programmed. It's a little bit more specific and it's very short term Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with each engagement. And with our engagements, they're very long term, as I've Mm -hmm. said before there, and you can't behave in a way that sort of solves the problem for the moment you need to behave in a way that solves the problem for the long term. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to arrest people. I was very good at it as a young deputy. <laughs> I, I, I joke yeah. about it now, um, and it, but, only, but I say it in the same breath as I'm embarrassed by some of the things that I wish I would have known then mm-hmm. and behaviors sure. I would have engaged in then. Um, but I was very good at enforcing the court's orders back then. But it's an easy thing to do. And mm-hmm. again, going back to our earlier point, what we ask our deputies to do now is very hard. And so we regularly have the discussion of, yes, I give you all of these tools and equipment around law enforcement. I expect you to use them judiciously and I expect you to use them mm-hmm. safely and smartly. Um, but that doesn't mean I want you to be just that. I also give you a ton of evidence-based training. I give you a ton of philosophy. I give you a ton of expectations around how to treat people and work with people and help mm-hmm. make them successful. And I need you to understand both of those sides of the coin always. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, all of these uh, podcasts that we have done, it seems to keep coming back to we do ask a lot of our of our workforce. You know, Mm -hmm. we we, um, but 
it's also because we are fortunate to know what we what really can work mm-hmm. to improve our communities and keep our communities safe. And so mm-hmm. if we can get everybody thinking along the same lines, it would be good. Um, kind of as we're getting close to, to drawing to a close, uh, looking ahead, what do you kind of see on the horizon around this debate and this you know, I shouldn't say debate. I say debate because I live in the political world. But um, but I should just say this conversation, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, with your staff, where, where you see the profession going in its implementation of the balance of sanctions and incentives. Well, I'm really excited about the future because I think what it does is that it creates a quality workforce much sooner in their careers than ever before. Um One of the things that I think is important to denote to staff is that while you may have heard, you know, maybe some of our more senior staff who's been around a long time and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, that stuff takes away all my, you know, my ability to make my own decisions and things of that nature. What oftentimes they don't talk about is that it makes certain aspects of your job a lot easier Mm -hmm. because it really helps you to make decisions in a more definitive and more supportive way. It also helps you, in my opinion, to be much more fair and balanced in the work. A lot of the, I think, criticism, and fairly so, oftentimes of supervision in the community is that sometimes it only um, comes across certain populations more than others, and it's not always fairly done. I think this new world of incentives and sanctions and evidence-based practices actually levels the playing field and actually makes a fairer environment more so than it's ever done before. We know that there is a tremendous amount of work around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would argue that the use of sanctions and response grids and, you know, evidence to really examine things actually makes us more responsive to individual Mm -hmm. subgroups than it makes Mm -hmm. us less. Right. It provides a degree of oversight that, frankly, we've never really had at times internally. I loved Brian's example about how if a person wants to step outside of the the matrix to do something that's either above or Mm -hmm. below, that it generates a conversation with the supervisor. And I know when we were young deputies, we didn't necessarily go through our supervisors to file revocations. We just kind of did them, right? And people hoped and trusted that we were going to approach the work from a very fair-minded space. And I think universally we have done. But I think now there's an expectation from the community at large, not just politicians Mm -hmm. or people who have very targeted interests. I think there's a greater expectation that systems are fair, Absolutely. And that systems are constantly evolving and systems are doing mm-hmm. continuous improvement. I'm most proud of the work in probation in that arena. Yeah. That we have demonstrated a degree of um of foresight and our ability to look at ourselves with a, you know, with a really, you know, keen eye towards critiquing the work mm-hmm. that we do and our interest in holding ourselves accountable uh, for our outcomes is directly related to that. So when I think of the future, I'm, I'm extremely excited about what this process allows us to do in terms of creating an even higher level, higher uh, impactful workforce and to be able to get that sooner rather than sometimes it takes when you're having to kind of build a team and not necessarily have such a prescribed set of training modalities and things like that. Um, 
And I'm super excited for that internally because as an organization, we are going to be getting a lot younger as people retire and transition yeah. out. And I think it's true probably of the profession in the yeah. state. Yeah. So I think that these types of um, investments are going to pay tremendous dividends for the future probation employees who will do this work and will represent what we value. So interesting, the, the tools that you're referring to really provide a check and balance. And check and balance yes. is what gets us to more equity and more fair application of things. And and That's so right. that I hadn't really thought about it that way. It's, a, it's an interesting point that's really topical. And it is interesting also from the perspective that when you think about um, equity in terms of the work that we do, um, it's easy because equity is such a big thing. It's massive, right? And it's easy to get lost in what can you actually do to improve it? What can you actually do to make a difference? And it allows for us in probation to focus really on the things that we control right? and the things that are of our responsibility and then to target that for how do we improve that process through an equity lens, right? you know, through a fairness lens, through a, a space where whether it's an assessment process, which we know at times can create divergent opinions about how fair they are, all the way down to the basic premises of what type of uh, programming do we provide to a person and you know versus another person. Mm-hmm. Um, those things, I think, in a lot of ways are answered in a way that is very transparent, but also very um, fiscally responsible, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and then also in a way that does demonstrate this continuous improvement kind of process that I think we all value very much. Yeah. And I should say the tools that I was referring to as a check and balance is a check and balance on ourselves, on our, uh, you know, on our officers, on our system to make sure that there's, you know, kind of a fair Mm -hmm. way in which we're applying some of the science that we're deploying as as a tool. Yeah. No, we care about checks and balance uh, of ourselves. We want to do the absolute best that we can. Um, We want to support transparency in the work. We want to support fiscal responsibility. Um, Those things are things that we value tremendously within the work that we do. And I think the way in which we we show that is by more of an adherence to these very complex and challenging things um, that allow us to be just as impactful as I think we really want to be. Yeah, I think what it does, um, and for those for those people that do come, and it is typically more experienced officers uh, that might say, "Well, this sort of hems me in, and it, and it, and it mm-hmm. you know, it reduces my um, my expertise that I've gained absolutely. over the years." Absolutely, yeah. and w- and what I have to reiterate to them is, no, it provides a structure from which we are going to engage in this work. But big big capital B, I want you to be creative when it comes to the individual. I want you to know that hmm. that that there are no guardrails when it comes to like how you engage with somebody and what's going to work hmm. for them because you know we le- we know this about our staff. If you do something good as a staff member, if you get a a sticky note from the chief on your computer, that's like the best thing under the sun. You do that to somebody else, they're like nice sticky note, tear it up, toss it in the garbage. Mm-hmm. Well, our clients aren't any different. Sure. And so we're telling our officers, get creative, do the thing that's going to work for that person that incentivizes them mm. to want to do better. Yeah. It, don't administer sanctions to them that mean nothing to them. 
that just you're administering a sanction for the sake of doing it. Checking mm. a box. Yeah. yeah, you're checking a box, but do something that's going to make a difference. And if it's not, if that isn't the thing, then do something else. If your experience tells you you did it once and it failed, yeah, then do something else that might be more successful. So Absolutely. I actually think yeah. they've been given, at least I know, uh, you know, the deputies I work with, they've been given a very broad breadth of of opportunity to do essentially whatever it takes. And that's what I tell them. The, mm-hmm. the motto in our agency is, do whatever it takes to make things happen, to make positive behavior change. And if you think it it's something we aren't budgeted for, or you don't think we have a rule for it, or you don't think there's a policy for it, then you come talk to me and we'll we'll make an adjustment in our in our shop so that you can do that thing, whatever it is. And what you're describing is what the definition of how you intrinsically motivate absolutely, someone, absolutely. right? I just wanted yes. to kind of put a finer point on that. Maybe yep. only only a light bulb going off in my head is <laughs> totally possible, but just in case that's helpful to the listeners as well. So um, as we kind of uh, zoom hmm. out on this uh, this conversation, and I really appreciate, uh, you know, one, you guys sharing the valuable insight that you have, two, actually behaving and not taking over the mm. podcast in total and allowing for me to yeah to yes I appreciate being <laughs> a part of the party um but just final question fun one or at least we think it's fun want to try to have more of a fun question so what mm. would you kind of looking back now you both talked a little bit about what it was like when you started and and so forth what job in today's probation department and mm. world would you like to go back to do oh that's easy i mean i think i know what what yours is Jimmy, that's easy but. if i if i had an opportunity to go back and do the work um i absolutely love the process of pre-sentence reports i knew it <laughs> I, I mean there are there's a there's an art to a very <laughs> well-written pre-sentence report mm. that just speaks to me in a very intrinsic way. There you go. So now we know how to, and it is true. We may intrinsically try to motivate you at CPOC to often ask you for your read and advice on a, on a court case. We know how to keep you engaged yes, in the conversation. And I, and I do appreciate that. No, I, I love it because it, for me, it really spoke to this very interesting part of the system, which is this, to talk about balance, mm-hmm. to talk about the two questions that oftentimes, particularly in, in maybe sometimes today's view of our legal system, that gets often forgotten, which is whether an individual being considered for probation is statutorily eligible for probation. So the offense they're being accused of or convicted of, depending upon the stage of the process, does a law allow for that person to receive probation as an option? And then the other one where really the art comes in is the conversation around suitability. Mm-hmm. I think suitability is something that I just find incredibly, which probably speaks to my strangeness, I find it incredibly exciting to talk about the nuances of individuality when it comes to this work. But because my focus is around helping people, when I look at the sensing factors and I'm trying to consider whether this person is going to be a good candidate for probation, Interestingly, a lot of the things that we look at today through uh, this sanction and response kind of process, this incentive-based space, this evidence-based space, actually really marries really well into kind of writing, I think, a good quality report. So for me, that would just be the best. 
Well, so I did know what your answer was likely to be, but you know, uh, but now I have to admit, as well as I know you, Chief Richard, I'm not sure what your answer is going Uh, to be. You're going to be surprised, and and I'm not surprised by John's answer. And is it any surprise that he has a degree in law? Well, right. I was (laughs) going to say he went to law school and came to the podcast in his three-piece suit. That's right. We, you know, we digress. (laughs) digress. Um, The reality is, so my favorite job in probation Mm -hmm. is uh, is actually one I've never done. Because they didn't really exist when mm-hmm. I was a case carrying officer. Okay. So I'll tell you too. Uh, the, my favorite job that I did get to do was actually running a juvenile residential center. Mm-hmm. So my and uh, they were called juvenile halls at the time. But running, being a superintendent of a juvenile hall mm-hmm. was one of one of my most favorite things because I got to work directly with clients literally every day. Right. It right. was so much fun. I yeah. loved the kids. I, can yeah. see I loved that. working with their families and the kids and watching them improve their their outlook on what was possible mm-hmm. from the day they came in where they were scared to death and not knowing what the future sure. was going to hold. Mm. Yeah. The reality is if I had any job that I could have done and I could go back and do right now, mm-hmm. I would love to be a case carrying officer in a day reporting center. Oh, I would okay. love, and again, similar circumstance mm-hmm. where you have people coming yeah. to the environment and getting helped every day. I, I'll, I'll tell you, so today I went and I sat in on a nutrition class at our day reporting center. Oh, I occasionally... Wow. We'll go in and stock our, our <laughs> day reporting centers. <laughs> it just comes and, and I go and I sit and I just I commune with the guy. And I had I had been out in the parking lot talking with the guys mm-hmm. during one of their breaks and and they they told me what their class was coming up and I wanted to hear how they reacted and responded to hearing about how nutrition can yes. help you in your goals of becoming substance free. And the the instructor there was extremely informative, and the guys were joking with her, and they were having a good time. But but they were listening and they were learning about, yes. I mean, something as simple as like gut biome and how that it can inform and impre- and and help uh, improve your mindset right. mm-hmm. and your self worth and your and it's like who tied that together twenty five years ago? <laughs> None of us, right? no, not at all. So I would go back and I would do that yes. in a heartbeat. I Interesting. Think be great. Okay. Yes. Well, I can see that that does fit. I also it. don't yeah, think right. anybody who's listening to the podcast had gut biome on their no, bingo card. So not. that is, uh, you know, something that no one expected, and yeah, but gut, uh, nor but did gut, I. Gut, gut biome <laughs> and holistic approaches to community corrections tie very well together. Absolutely. They do. That sounds like a title for the next podcast for sure. (laughs) It does. I mean, I think when you start thinking about the, the tremendous impacts of things like, you know, your, your overall health and your, the the absence of good dental care, Mm -hmm. you know, the absence of, Oh, (laughs) You know, I see, I told you earlier, yeah. we could just light a candle and really <laughs> well, get into some of this. For those who maybe are just listening, yes. the lights just went down, which is like also what they do at the bar. When yes, when it's time to be the bell. Yeah, yeah, it's like, so hey. I, no, yeah. do you not take that personally. You, you ain't got to go home, yeah, but you got to get up out of here. But I, I will, but I will say though, just really quickly that I do think that it really, once again, going back to the theme, it does speak a lot to the evolution of this work because- to Brian's point, we do understand the interconnectedness of, you know, overall social emotional well being and how much that ties into, you know, how many of our folks find themselves at various points and and the absent of that intersect in their lives that ultimately is more of a contributing factor into their criminality than this concept that, well, some people are just born bad or some different mm-hmm. groups or folks. Yeah don't respond well to this, sure. that, or the other. It's so much more in-depth than 
it than most people realize. And it's just so exciting we get to have those conversations today yep. that we just didn't get to have before. Well, it looks like you guys have a lot more energy for the work, and we're lucky for it. And thank you for being at our table here today, but also at the table of the larger group of chiefs and leading the way um, and helping our, us connect the work uh, to real life you know, situations. So hopefully this podcast will enlighten those who maybe did not know all of the balance of what we do. So again, thank you for taking the time and behaving yourselves. Well, yes. We're, we're, You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> we'll, we'll be more of a rowdy bunch next time. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well then with that, uh, thank you for tuning in.